Well, this is our new series, and in this, we are continuing in Romans. So we're still tracking through Romans. We ended in Romans last week um, in Romans uh, chapter in Romans chapter eight, and today we're starting in Romans chapter nine in a brand new series. You're like, well, Brandon, isn't this just kind of the old series? No, it's because as Paul is writing these 16 chapters of Romans, there are these these different pieces of it where he focuses on different chunks. So we're looking at the first eight chapters are very much laying the foundations of what we understand as uh, of New Testament theology and that Jesus did it all for us and that everything hinges on Jesus. And if you missed some of the Crux series, we have it available for you on our online and you're able to catch up on that. But here we now shift into this middle part of Romans and we deal with some of the paradoxical things because as Jesus comes in and 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 brings about this 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 revolution of love and steps in as the Messiah and there is a new commandment there's a new life in Christ then it seems like that all of a sudden that everything that had gone before doesn't matter and there's this little bit of little place where it's like, how, how, do we, how do these things come together? How does this new life in Christ and all that God had done through the people of Israel, how does this mesh? How do the old and the new, how do they function together? And, and Paul spends the next three chapters of Romans talking about that. And, and today we want to look at this concept that, that the beautiful paradox of life in Christ is that he makes the impossible possible. That statement in and of itself is a paradox. A paradox is is a statement that appears to contradict itself. It's true, but appears to contradict itself. And so we, uh, anytime an English teacher is trying to teach this concept, uh, they, they bring this concept over and over again. And the entry-level concept of this is the idea of jumbo shrimp. How can you have something that's jumbo and tiny? What's the tiny version or the big version of the tiny? My, my daughter understood this automatically. Uh, Colin, our four-year-old, um, she has older sisters who are teenagers, and she in her mind is just ready to rock and roll. She's like right there with them. You know, she is every bit as grown up as them, every bit ready, and... Um, so if, and so the older two were wanting to do something, and Colin was like, "Daddy, I just don't understand why I can't go with with Brookers and Lulu." And I said, "Well, sweetheart, they're going to do big girl stuff, and you have to do little girl stuff." And she thought about that for a second, and she looked at me, she said, "But Dad, I'm just a little big girl." <laughs> All right, point made. Um, it's big girl, big girl stuff. <laughs> Not little big girl stuff. And so that's this concept is this, this paradox or these things that are true but seem to be contradictory. You deal with this anytime you go to Starbucks and you order the, that, that regular small coffee up there. And what's it called? A tall. What are they trying to pull over on us? It's the small one and they call it a tall. And then the next one is grande and then vente. I don't, I don't even know how that, that doesn't even all make sense to me. And so there, it's like you're not going to get 
they're not going to let you have in your mind a, a small coffee. You've got a, you've got a, you've got a tall You've got a tall coffee. How can the littlest one be the, the tall one? That just doesn't make any sense. And I don't know if there's any Adele fans out in the crowd. Anybody enjoys Adele's music, but uh, her latest album, all right. And so my family, we enjoy some Adele. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll belt that out every once in a while. And um, so her latest album, she actually quotes Shakespeare in her song that's called Love in the Dark. And she says, she says this twisted version of her, the Shakespearean line, and it says, I'm being cruel to be kind. That somehow that this thing of that I'm breaking your heart, but it's the nicest thing I could possibly do for you. That I'm being cruel to be kind. That's, that's, that's a paradox. It just doesn't make sense but it is this place of, tru- of truth. And, and if you read Animal Farm years ago, you're forced to read that in your 7th or 8th grade year in English. And this, uh, this cynical take on, on government and all these different things. And as the, all the animals begin to take over the farm and, and they set this concept up that all animals are created equal. Some are just more equal than others. Well, how does that, how in the world does that work? And then we get into the Bible, and the Bible is full, is full of truth that is paradoxical. That we have life through death. What? My mind doesn't quite jive with that. That the key to leadership is serving? That's this paradox that just doesn't quite jive. The last shall be first. Well, if you stick them as first, they're not last anymore. How does this work? It's this place of paradox. And the theologian uh, <clears throat> G.K. Chesterton had said that paradox is truth standing on its head to get attention. All of these paradoxical things are places where, where these are the life-changing truths of the Bible. That if we want to the guy that wants to save his life must be willing to lose it. That doesn't make sense. But these are the life-changing truths for us. Why? Because the world is turned upside down. Sin has jacked it all up. And for us to be able to begin to get this and understand this, then we have to kind of meet it where it's at and turn it right side up again. One of the big paradoxes is that there's one true God expressed as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't that three? That's there one and there's three. One of these beautiful paradoxical mysteries of the word that we could spend a whole series just breaking each one of these paradoxes down. But as we see, this is part of our spiritual heritage. This isn't just this little anomaly that flows in the middle of Romans. This is part of our spiritual heritage. And as we're about to get into and look at this paradox, there, I remembered honestly this morning that from something, a, a, a Time magazine cover that I saw in 1994. This is grabbing way back, and I was able to Google it and I found it. And I'm going to share with you this Time magazine cover from 1994. And here it is Good old American Gothic. The iconic American art. 
except it's been torqued a little bit. And you got them cool for 1994, which the guy kind of looks hipstery for 2016. And so everything kind of goes around. And the title, this is the cover of Time Magazine, Everybody's Hip, and That's Not Cool. That's a paradox. Well, this kind of bridges into the paradox that we're looking at today because what we're looking at is this concept that Israel had been a chosen people. God had set apart Abraham and his descendants to hold on to and to carry the truth of who God was, his plan for humanity, the fact that he was a holy, a holy God and that we had to be a, had to be a holy people. That Messiah was going to be coming. So here is this set apart, chosen people. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and he dies for everybody. And now everybody's chosen. Everybody's included. And the people who were originally on the inside are sitting there like that Time Magazine cover. is like, everybody's chosen. And that's not cool. I thought we were the special people. I thought God had done something special. Was all of a sudden, was all that for nothing? Was all of the Old Testament and all of those different things for nothing? There are people stepping in to their relationship with God and they have no idea what had happened with the people of Israel before and they just find out about this Jesus guy and man, and they're just, they're just right with God and moving right along. What is here? Is, is, was all of it pointless? Or did all of did some of that, or does, how does this work? Does this... Does this still matter and so as Paul had spent all of this time as we looked at the crux series about how that our relationship with God is not based on blood lineage it's not based on all of the sacrifice and the old law system but it is based on us believing and understanding who Jesus is and then we are alive in God and made right with God through faith but in his grace poured out on us in Christ so now we get into Romans chapter 9, verse 1. Paul says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from, from Christ for the sake of my people uh, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants. Theirs is the receiving of the law and the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. See, here God had been working through the people of Israel. And a lot of people say, well, why do we need to be so grateful for the Jewish people, for the, the people of Israel? Well, here's the thing. Is Jesus was going to show up. Messiah was going to come and was going to live. And somebody had to be looking for him. Somebody had to be ready for him. So God set the people of Israel apart. He spoke to them, prophesied, had a relationship with them. And the world just kept operating in chaos. Just kept, stayed disconnected. Just, it just, and God was working his plan with the people of Israel. 
And we've all seen the movies and we've seen the stuff on TV where you've got the little chauffeur that's all dressed in black and he's got the little black chauffeur's hat and he's at the airport to pick up the VIP and he's got the little sign, right? And it's got, you know, Mr. Harrison or whatever. And he doesn't know exactly who Mr. Harrison is, but he's coming through, coming off the, the, the terminal, and he's holding the sign, and he's probably got a description. He's about this tall, and he's going to be wearing a this and a that. And he's holding the sign, and he's needing Mr. Harrison to recognize him. Well, I'm going to meet you there in the airport, and then this, this is how our connection is made. And then sure enough, they show up, and there they are. They meet, and the little, the little system works. Well, the people of Israel on the behalf of humanity, had stood in the proverbial airport of humanity holding the Messiah sign. They're the ones that saw and had the scriptures and the prophecies of what he would look like and what he would do. All of the stuff that we use that we go back to echo and point and we celebrate to Jesus being born of a virgin as it was prophesied, being born in Bethlehem as it was prophesied all of the different things that were prophesied about the messiah and how he would how he would raise up and the ministry he would do and all of those different things they had all been prophesied and told to the nation of israel as they were there holding that messiah sign the problem was is there was a mentality that he was simply there for the people holding the sign And everybody else walking through the airport, doing their own thing, going at their own pace, not even recognizing that something divine was taking place. That when that connection made, he was going to say, whoop, I'm here for you all. I'm here for all of you. If you want to recognize and know that I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, this guy has been looking for me the whole time, and it ought to be echoing that, which is why we look to the Old Covenant and the Old Testament Scriptures and it echoing over and over and over again, pointing towards Jesus. It is so amazing to be able to be familiar with Jesus and His ministry and begin to read the Old Covenant and the Old Testament and all the prophetic Scriptures and see Jesus all over it. All through it. It is such amazing, beautiful experience. But even Jesus' ministry, even Jesus' ministry, he came up and he didn't show up and go through and go to China and say, hey, guess what? I'm the Messiah here. They weren't looking for him. He would still have been Jesus. He still could have done miracles. He still could have done all that stuff, but they wouldn't have aligned it with God's promise of bringing a Savior. He went to the people who were looking for Him. He went to the people that were prophesied to for Him. That was what was taking place. And we have this moment where Jesus is going through ministry and we mark talks about it and Matthew talks about it and we'll look or just reference Matthew's uh, version of it but there's a lady who is one one says she's Canaanite which is a big group of people the other one says she's Syrophoenician which is Canaanite which kind of narrows it down it's the difference between saying an American and a Texan you know the Texans are Americans and so here's this Syrophoenician Canaanite woman and she has this this issue with her daughter that she wants to get healed But she is not of the lineage of Israel. She's not one who was raised with the prophetic words and and understanding that Messiah was coming. She just heard that there was a miracle man doing miracle stuff and her daughter needed a miracle. 
She wasn't connecting with him on his Messiah level. She wouldn't connect. She just was connecting on, I need a miracle. And she goes up to him and she starts hollering at him. And as we read this past Matthew 15, he, he's, he's acting kind of un-Jesus-like to us. If we don't get the paradigm and whatnot, initially he doesn't respond to her. And then finally his disciples go, um, just tell her to go away. You know, just tell her to move along. And so he responds to her with this. I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is what his earthly assignment was. Which is why Jesus wasn't in the middle of Rome preaching to, the, preaching to all of the Roman people. That's why he wasn't way down in some other place doing that. Which is why he wasn't on this side of the planet talking to Native Americans or any of that. He was talking to the people of Israel who were looking for him. That's who he was talking to. And he enters into this conversation and enters into this exchange. And this lady finally was, and he's like, you know, look, I, I want my daughter healed. And he said, this other thing that doesn't seem real Jesus-like. And he says, you know, we don't take the children's bread and give it to dogs. Jesus, that just doesn't seem very polite. That just doesn't seem very, very nice. But he's just talking in their cultural, regional terms. And she responds in this amazing way of understanding who he was and what he was really about. That it was much bigger than even the Israel. She says, yes, but even the little dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he says, I've not seen faith that great in all of Israel. Of all the people who are looking for supposed to be looking for me nobody has understood me like you understand me your daughter's healed it's done the people who are supposed to be looking for me nobody has caught on that, that i am here for everybody and i want everybody taken care of nobody's understood that i have an assignment right here and she caught it she got it that there was that so as we come into on this side of the resurrection and as the gospel has gone out to everybody how does this stuff Come together. We look at Romans 9 verse 6. It says it's not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. See there were those who banked on their bloodline. You know what? I can trace my bloodline all the way back to Abraham. So I'm good. This promise was made to Abraham and all his descendants. I can trace my bloodline back and I'm good. I kind of... Forget this whole thing and not worry about it. I'm just, I'm just brought in. And he says, no, not all descendants from, from Israel are Israel. Nor because of his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Through the, through the son of promise. Through the son that came about by a miracle. Through the one that came about by God, him believing God. In other words... If not the children of the physical descendant are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Those who will take God at his word. Those who will believe him and say that you're the one that can do the impossible. God, it may look impossible to me, but with you all things are possible. Remember we talked about a few Weeks ago, how Abraham was old, 100 years old. He was not having kids anymore. His wife was 90. It was done. 
It was over. Factories closed. It's over. And guess what? They're still hanging on to the promise. We're going to have a child. It says there was no hope in the natural and still in hope they believed. It is those who will connect with God from a place of faith and believe Him and take Him at His word. Those are the children of Israel. He goes on in verse 25 to say, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where I said to them, you're not my people, they will be called the children of the living God. Here Paul goes through and he shows, he's showing them, it's been his plan the whole time. Those who didn't fall within this narrow group of people, who had, the, who had the scriptures, who had the prophetic words, who had all of the different stuff that we had called my people. I've been wanting to call people who weren't my people, call them my people, the whole time. But I need somebody, I needed a nation to begin to look and to, to stay true to Him and recognize when Messiah showed up so that then the saving knowledge of what He had accomplished could go around the whole earth and all of us could get in on it. So that with this, even with the people of Israel, it now comes back to Jesus. Remember we spent a whole series saying it all hinges on Jesus? It still all hinges on Jesus. And that's what he brings. He brings here this concept that Jesus is simultaneously this stone of stumbling and this rock of foundation. Simultaneously. It depends on how we interact with him. He is simultaneously, people either come to Jesus and he's a stumbling stone to them or they come up to Jesus and they recognize who he is and now he becomes their rock, their solid rock of foundation. See, some people stumble at Jesus being the only way to be right with God. See, in our culture, that sounds just incredibly narrow. Well, can't all roads lead to God? Can't? Everything that has kind of love and fluffiness and sweetness kind of take us to God who is love? No. No. Not because it's narrow. Not because we're trying to corner the market on and have control over who comes to God and who doesn't. No. See, the, the good news is that in Christ, all have been made right. He's reconciled the whole world to himself. In Christ, all have been made right. It's not that there's the ins and the outs. It's not that all of a sudden there's a... It's that all of us have been put in in Christ. And we simply have to believe it. We have to own it back. He says, I've called you my own. And he's waiting on us to call him his own back. We have to hear and believe. The scriptures say over and over and over again. But the work has been done. That's the good news. The good news is God's made you right with him. In Christ, the work is completed. And you either hear that and go, there's no way. And stumble, and it's an offense. Why is Jesus the only way? Why can there be only one way to God? Well, because that's the only way our, our sin and our shortcomings are dealt with. It doesn't get dealt with any other way than by the, the beautiful, amazing sacrifice of Jesus. That's it. And then in him, we embrace that and believe. See, but those who believe, they live and are fully embrace their right standing with God. 
Not because of something they've done, but because of what Jesus has done. See, Romans 9.29 says, It is just as Isaiah had previously said. He's going back and he's bringing these two. It's not that we've disconnected and have no use or have no need for all of the work that God had done up until Jesus. No, we still reference it and we still pull it in and recognize God's, God's heart for humanity from day one. Just as Isaiah previously said, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we'd become like Sodom and have been like Gomorrah. Unless God had had a place of mercy, then he'd have just, everything would have just been dealt with. Everything would have. goes on in verse 30, says, What shall we say then that the Gentiles who didn't pursue righteousness, these Gentiles who didn't care about the temple worship and all this stuff, all of a sudden they've just kind of come along here, they've obtained it? A righteousness is by faith, but the people of Israel who pursue the law as the righteousness have not attained their goal. See, the thing is, is that it's this, it was the same thing for all of us. We all needed a Savior. And those who felt righteous because of doing everything the right way missed it. He says Isaiah had said we were all jacked up, all of us, the best of us. The best of us, we were all jacked up. We'd have all been like. And Sodom and Gomorrah was, the, was to, a, to the Jewish nation that was saying we were the worst of the worst. When Paul himself as a Jew says we were all like that, Isaiah said it, I agree with it, we were all like the worst of the worst. And unless God had intervened, we'd have all been on the same, stuck on the same place. He's coming back and he's bringing this truth in here. That it's by believing what he has done. See, Romans 9.32 says, Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. We have this concept that here's these people that are just drowning in this ocean. Land is nowhere in sight. And here comes the rescue boat and says, You know what? Here it is. Take a hold of Jesus. This lifesaver. Take a hold of him. And they go, Nope, nope, I'm swimming. I'm swimming. I got this. I've been working on this. I've been mastering my stroke. I've been mastering keeping my head above water. I'm good. I'm pretty sure I'm going to make it to land. I'm all right. That's this concept of somebody hanging on to works. Hanging on to what they can bring to the table. We all needed Jesus. He said they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Why? Because they didn't want a Savior. They wanted to be able to do it on their own. I've got the law. I've got these things. I hold it pretty solid. I hold to it pretty good. I think I'm right. I think I'm good. They stumbled over this concept. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion. That's in Israel. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Those who grab hold and grab a hold of Jesus will never be put to shame. See, it is God's desire that all of us recognize that we need a Savior. Those who had been holding the Messiah sign the, the, all, of these, all of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and those who were clueless and all of a sudden get the beautiful knowledge that God has done it and it's already accomplished. We all get in by believing in Him. So then it comes to this question. This is the big question of 
Everybody, the big question of the ages. Who do you say Jesus is? Here in Romans, he's either your stumbling stone or he's your foundation. Who do you say he is? He's either that, that thing you've been desperately needing and knowing, I can't do this on my own, and you grab hold of Jesus, or he's that thing that you reject. And we see this when Jesus has his encounter with his disciples. Let's look at Matthew 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? That's one of the terms for Jesus as the Son of Man. It says, they replied, some say John the Baptist, which John the Baptist was dead. Okay? So that already brings this period, this little thing of this mystical thing, okay? That somehow that there is this amazing little spiritual mystical thing that's happened that Jesus is kind of this, not reincarnated because they were born months apart, but has somehow is this guy who was just killed. There was this prophetic guy. They're already using some amount of faith. To be able to say that, that somehow that this, this took place. said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. That you're this guy that was just killed recently. Others say Elijah. Well, okay, well, this is a dead guy that's been dead a long time. And then now somehow you're kind of this new version of Elijah, whether this Elijah reincarnated or you have the spirit and anointing of Elijah. And so it's still this... This mystical thing says, and still others, Jeremiah. What? So all of the options are that Jesus is some dead guy? That's all of the main options? Or one of the prophets? Maybe he's just a newest version of a prophet. He's our latest in this chain of prophets. He's his own man. He's his own guy. But he's just a prophet. Still spiritual, still amazing, still can put miracles under him, still can put people getting healed, feeding the 5,000. We can still kind of lump this under Jesus if he's one of these come back from the dead guys or he's a prophet because prophets have done miracles in Israel's past. And then Jesus makes it personal. He says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is the first time this is connected. You're the one our whole people have been holding the sign and looking for. You're it. You are it. Everything, all of the scriptures, everything we've memorized, every song, every, all the stuff that's been pointing, we've been looking for Messiah and you are him. I'm talking to the one. You are Messiah. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this understanding, this foundation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. It's not that Peter 
Peter means chunk of a rock. It doesn't mean rock. It's not that Peter is now what God's going to build his church on. It's what he just declared. That Jesus is the Messiah. The truth that he's the one that has come to save us all. And that truth of who Jesus is, is what God is building his church on. So as he is building his church, as he is building us, the, and the question to us is who is Jesus? Well, most of us have gathered here today because we've already answered that he's Savior. But you know what? The scripture has more to say about that. The scripture has more to say about thank God that he has come in and he's made us right with God, not by anything we've done, but by only what he has done. But guess what? As we're facing the difficulties of life, when your life is a total whirlwind and a total mess and you can't make heads or tails, who do you say Jesus is? Do you declare he is my peace in the storm? Who do you say that he is as, as, as uh, illness and stuff attacks your body? Do you say he is my healer? Who do you say that he is? As you're facing difficult decisions and difficult things, the Bible says that Jesus has been made wisdom for us. Do you say, Jesus is my wisdom? Who do you say that he is? As you are battling with your own willfulness, do you say that Jesus is Lord? That means you give your will up to his will. Who do you say that he is? That is the question on which the answer is how he builds his church. He is Savior. He is, he, is, <clears throat> he is wisdom. He is healer. He is here and present. He's our soon and coming king. He is everything that we need for life and godliness been provided for us in Christ Jesus. This is who our Jesus is. And as we grow in an understanding, that's why Celebration Church is completely about knowing God better and trusting Him more. Because it's on this foundation that God is building His church. Who He is and who, what He's done for us. So this morning, our bottom line is that Jesus is the only solid foundation. He is. And our best life is built on Jesus our best life is built on him he's the only foundation we can stand on so this morning we want to create a place where that maybe this morning you came and and you're on the outside looking in and the most important decision that anybody can make is coming up to that same decision here's this rock are you gonna stumble over Jesus or are you going to build your life on him? Do you believe that the work's already done? That you've already been made right with God through Christ? Or do you believe that you got to bring something to the table? you got to do something to fix this thing with God. Do you believe that he's already done it? He loved you that much. He took care of all of it. Foot the bill. Paid it all. Just so you could be in relationship with him. It's done. He's smiling at you. His arms are open to you this morning. He's just waiting on you to believe it and embrace it. So if that's you this morning, if you say, Brandon, I believe that. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of going my own way. I believe that Jesus pursued me. He's done it all. 
And I believe he's Savior this morning. He's my Savior. If that's you, just raise your hand. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. We're going to pray right now. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Your faith has made you, has embraced that you're right with God. But now I want the first prayer you've prayed as a child of God to be right here with us this morning. See, then you've already, you'll have already taken your next step. You've already started talking to Him. So let's pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that in Him, I've been made completely right with you. All of my sin, all of my shame, all of this stuff I regret, it's been dealt with. I'm a new creation because of what you've done. And I thank you for that this morning. I invite you to change me from the inside out. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. Woo! I want you to stand up this morning. And please, this morning, if you've got something going on, if there's something rolling around in, in your heart, I'm telling you today that He is here to meet you. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you need a healer? He heals. Do you need wisdom in a decision? He guides us. He cares about our lives. Do you need restoration with family members? God brings peace. Do you need rest? He gives rest. Who do you say that He is? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your goodness and this mercy. And we declare today that You are our all in all. You are everything that we need. And Lord, I just pray that every need is met this morning, Lord. Those that are heavy hearted, those that are frustrated, Lord, those that are, are dealing with sensitive issues, Heavenly Father, Lord, that you just meet them right here and right now, that they recognize that their hope is completely in you, Lord, and that you are a good and loving God, and you care, Heavenly Father, about what they're dealing with in this moment. Lord, we just go out of here and courage, knowing, Lord, that you are for us, Lord, and therefore it doesn't matter what comes against us, Lord, that we have the victory that you have provided, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.